Can you folks hear me okay? Okay. The, uh... Somebody has said that the, the AM transmission may be a little bit scratchy. Is anybody having trouble hearing? Like completely you can't hear? It's a little bit scratch. If, if it's a little bit scratchy, give me a toot. <laughs> Eric, there's something up, but I don't know what it is. Um, we're going to go ahead. We're going to go ahead, folks. Um, what you might be hearing, and, I, and, and I'm going to have to go to First Kings. First Kings, as you're turning there, I'm going to read to you um, from First Kings 18. But as you're turning there, what you might be hearing is we have a little uh, radio playing in the background. Are you just hearing like our feedback from that radio maybe? Okay. Well, I'm going to be, I think I'm going to be short today, so we'll see what happens. Um, in 1 Kings, the, I'm going to read the 18th verse, and then I'm going to jump all the way down to the 41st verse. And here is how the, the, the first verse reads. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. He said, go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink. For there's a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth. And he put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked. And he said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And at the seventh time he said, Behold, there's a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing upon the reading of the word this hour. We thank you again for that word that's inspired word of God. It's been written and given to us as a love letter from you. We thank you that you love us so much to send us a letter, but more than that, to send us your son, Jesus Christ. Help us now as we look to your word to learn and to know of you in a new and fresh way. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I have a friend. He's a, he's a dear friend from my childhood. Uh, his name is Carl. Carl attended the same church I did. Carl's about eight years older than me. He became a preacher in the East Ohio Conference and preached uh, until retirement for him. His retirement came a little bit earlier than most. And uh, then he retired to Indiana uh, to serve the Lord at a little part-time church. And I think he just quit doing that last year. I tell you all that to tell you that Carl has told me, he, of all my friends and all of my colleagues, and I have a number of friends from my home church who went into ministry, uh, who I love just as dearly as I love Carl, but of all of them, uh, Carl is the most serious and also the wisest, I think, of all of us. And Carl has given me some words of advice across time that I've valued. In fact, 
usually when Carl speaks to me one-on-one and we're being serious about whatever we're talking about, I listen as if Carl were the E.F. Hutton uh, of church knowledge. One time I went to a church, and I've shared this with Westbrook Park before, I went to a church where I wasn't sure uh, it was just a difficult place to be. And Carl told me, Joel, if you can't love those people, you need to ask God for his love for those people. I felt that those were very wise words. But Carl told me something else. Some of you have heard me say this before, not all of you. Uh, And that was that in ministry, he had found that um, usually ministry goes in seven-year cycles. And the seven-year cycle goes something like this. The first couple of years of the seven-year cycle, you are getting to know people. They are getting to know you. Somewhere between years three, four, or five, uh, your ministry will have some effect. It will do something uh, that is effective where you're at. If it doesn't, it's probably time to go. And then on those next couple of years, depending on how long that middle part lasts, you will sort of have a downtime. And if you're fortunate, you will be able to stay for the next seven years to see that uptick again and to to start the whole process over. I find it interesting that he picked seven years. I've told other people about the seven-year thoughts thesis that Carl has, theory. But um, I find it interesting in the story that we've read this morning from 1 Kings 18. I know that it's Pentecost Sunday. I know that this is the day the Holy Spirit fell. But as we're in 1 Kings 18 for the scripture text this morning, that seven-year theory means something. I'm about to tell you why. Israel was in real trouble. They had fallen to sin. And in the chapter before this one, uh, God had spoken... And he had said to Elijah to go and speak to the king of Israel, who, by the way, was one of the most wicked kings ever. And if he wasn't the most wicked king ever, he had married the most wicked woman ever, Jezebel. And as as Elijah went to King Ahab, and he said to him, I am going to pray that it doesn't rain. And when Elijah prayed, we know that the rain stopped, get this, for three and a half years. (laughs) It's exactly half of seven. It's exactly the midpoint where my friend Carl told me something may happen in ministry. Now what happened when, 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 when Elijah prayed that it would not rain, it did not rain for three and a half years, but as with all things, that had to come to an end. And the way that it came to an end is a very uh, familiar Bible passage to most people that have spent any time in the Word. In the, in the 18th chapter, Elijah goes up on Mount Carmel. He calls out the 450 prophets of Baal. He calls King Ahab, and they had a duel. And the duel was that they killed two bulls. And they would place them on their altars and, and, and the prophets of Baal would pray that their God would come down and take those, uh, that bull and take it as a sacrifice. And then Elijah 
would pray for God to come and to eat up his sacrifice, and whichever God came and ate up the sacrifice in fire, that God would be known as who the true God was. And before they stepped into this, uh, this duel, if you would, this boxing match of spiritual boxing match of sorts, Elijah went to the people of Israel, and he said to them these words, How long will you go limping? between two different opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. I just told you a moment ago that Israel was in trouble. At the end of a three and a half year drought, they were challenged by God's spokesman to be God's people, and he told them, you're limping. How long are you going to continue to limp, halting between one and the other gods? When are you going to make up your mind? When are you going to make up a decision? And the Bible says that the people did not answer him a word. If you want to know why I say Israel was in real trouble, it's because of that. They could not make up their minds. You've heard before of the movie, the TV show Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. If I had to title this morning's message, it would be The Private Life of the Poor and Unknown. When you get to the, the, gospel of James, or the epistle of James in the New Testament, James would write these words in James 5.17 concerning Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. Get it, church? It means that Elijah was just like us. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Church, I have prayed for people to be healed of cancer. I have prayed for people to be healed of all manner of sickness. I have prayed that God would open a way in the wilderness, that God would do all sorts of positive things. But I have never prayed that I remember that God would do what seemingly is a bad thing. Elijah prayed that God would not send rain. And God answered Elijah's prayer. For three and a half years, it didn't rain. And so to find out about the private life of the poor and unknown, I want to take you through a little bit of what happened with Elijah before he prayed and God sent rain. The first thing that happened to Elijah, you'll find in, in the book of 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, the first verse through the seventh verse. I'm not going to read it to you, but let me tell it to you as I just did the other part of this scripture. God speaks to Elijah. In fact, I will read it. Elijah the Tishbite said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there will neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I've commanded ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from a brook. But after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Now, church, I want you to remember what James said about Elijah. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. 
And for three years and six months, it did not rain. And Elijah himself was the recipient of the problem of creating a drought. God said, go up to that brook. You've got a little stream running behind you here today, folks. I don't know if you've ever been down by it. If you see how nice the grass is and how good the mulch is here, there are people you can thank for that. I won't name names because they get upset when I do that. But that little brook dried up, and Elijah's camped out next to the brook. And the, the water dried up. The ravens came to feed him in the morning and the evening, but he had nothing to drink. And as you know, you cannot live without water. So the next thing that happened is the word of the Lord came to Elijah again. He had to leave the brook. He had to leave not only the brook that dried up, but the sustenance he was receiving from the ravens. And God spoke to him and he said, I want you to go to Zarephath. There's a widow there and you're to stay with her. And he went and he came to the widow's house and he knocked on the door. And when she answered, he said, God sent me. I'm here. I'm not from Avon. I am here because God sent me and I'm to live with you. What do you have to eat? And the woman spoke and said, we've got this little jar of meal and a wee little bit of oil. And I'm preparing it. And it's all we have left. And after my son and I have this meal, we intend to die. And Elijah came in and he said, you've got to trust the Lord. And the lady trusted the Lord. And the scriptures tell us that this widow woman with a dependent child kept both herself and her son and Elijah alive for some portion of that three and a half years with a jar that never stopped producing meal and a cruise that never stopped producing oil. But while he was there, a third thing happened. It's found in 1 Kings 17, the 17th verse. The widow, her son, became ill. And she went to check on her son, and Elijah went to check. And it says the illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And the widow said to Elijah, What have you got against me, O man of God? You came to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And Elijah scoops up her son, takes him upstairs, lays him out, and begins to pray to God. And the life came into his body. And Elijah did, delivered back to the mother the blessing of a revived and a refreshed child. That is what took place during the three and a half years of drought that, remember, Elijah himself prayed for. And where we have read today, Elijah has come onto the scene. The drought is about to come to an end. He has called the prophets up to that mountaintop. He has set out his bull. He set out their bull. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed that their God, the God of Baal, would come down and take up that sacrifice and nothing happened. So much so that Elijah began to make fun of them. He mocked them. And when they were done and they got tired and had given up, Elijah himself said, call and bring those four big tubs of water. And they dumped water all over the sacrifice. He said, do it again. And they did it again. He said, do it again. And they did it again. 
And then Elijah began to pray, and a fire came down from heaven and licked up the sacrifice as well as the water that was placed on it. And in the scripture that we've read today, after that happened, we get to the passage that I read to you. Elijah looks at King Ahab, who's standing there watching what just took place. God had come down from heaven, ate up the sacrifice, sent down the fire, licked up the water, the flames went back up. And can you imagine, Ahab is standing in awe, three and a half years of drought. And he's just seen at the hands of Elijah who the true God is, the God of Israel. And Elijah speaks to Ahab. He says, go up and eat and drink, because I hear the sound of rain. And Ahab went up and he drank. I find it interesting that Elijah didn't go to drink. Elijah didn't go to eat. It says Elijah went back up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth. He put his face between his knees. And he began to pray. He asked his servant, go out and look towards the sea. And the servant went and looked. And he said, what do you see? And he said, I see nothing. He said, go again. And he went and he looked. He said, what did you find? He said, I find nothing. And that happened seven times, back and forth. The servant went and looked, and he found nothing. And on the seventh trip out, when the servant came out, Elijah asked, what did you see? And he said, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising up from the sea. And Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little bit, the heavens grew black. The clouds and the wind gathered. And there was a great rain. And King Ahab rode and went back to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Israel. Today, I'm sure you're sitting here and you're wondering, what is Joel telling us in this message? You're about to find out. Everything that I just told you took two chapters of Scripture, the 17th and the 18th chapters of 1 Kings. But I want you to, to hear what 1 Kings 18.1 says. After the three and a half year drought, just before Elijah went up on Mount Carmel. This is the verse that you will read. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, and he said, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. Church, I want you to focus on one phrase. Go, show yourself. You say, what does that have to do with anything, Joel? Well, it's because all the way back when Elijah prayed that the rain would stop. I want you to hear what God said to him then. In the 17th chapter, the second and the third verses, it says this, The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook. Did you hear that, church? Hide yourself by the brook. 
After three and a half years, God says, go show yourself. But before the three and a half years, God says, go hide yourself. What happened when Elijah was in hiding? Because listen, church, we are not talking about the lifestyles of the rich and famous. What we are talking about, church, is the private life of the poor and unknown. What did God say to Elijah? Go hide yourself. And what happened when Elijah was in the private place? Listen close. Elijah got an empty brook. The brook ran dry. Say, Joel, that makes no sense. When you go to the private place, when you're obedient to God, when you do what he says, we're supposed to have blessings. It's supposed to rain down, you know, uh, just rain down all kinds of joyful things. No, Elijah went to the brook. He had to depend on ravens, and he had to depend on a brook that eventually ran dry. The next thing that happens, he winds up, he's got to go to a destitute woman with a dependent son who has nothing to eat and nothing to serve him. You got to say, this doesn't make sense. He did exactly what God told him to do. How could God do this to him? Go hide yourself, Elijah. Hide yourself by the brook. Hide yourself in the home of that widow woman. Finally, if things get and get worse, Elijah, while you're in the hiding place, the very source of what you're eating in that home, her life, her joy, her, her love, her all, her only possession that mattered in the world, her son, is going to die and you're going to be blamed for it. Church, this makes no sense. And that brings me to my bottom line. And hear it, hear it good, church. What we do privately is a good predictor of what God will do publicly. What we do privately is a good predictor of what God will do publicly. What did Elijah do in the hiding place? He depended upon ravens. He depended upon a brook that eventually run dry. What did Elijah do in the hiding place? He depended upon a destitute woman and her dying son who ultimately did die for nourishment. What did Elijah do in the hiding place, church? And hear me close. He depended upon God. You say, but Joel, it was ravens. But Joel, it was a brook. But, but Joel, it was a widow woman with nothing to her name who was waiting to die and whose son ultimately did. That's right. In the hiding place, Elijah believed and nothing God to go through the heartache, the suffering, the difficulty of depending upon God and God alone through whatever vessels he gave him because he knew that one day the rain would flow from heaven. And church, let me tell you something. What you do in your private life 
is far more important than what you do publicly. What you do when you're down by the brook will count more than what you do when you're up on stage. What you do in the home of the widow who's got nothing to offer you speaks more in heaven than what you do when you hear the applause of the crowd because you're up front. Elijah understood that if God said he was to go to the brook, he had to go to the brook. If God said he had to depend on ravens, he had to depend on ravens. If God said he had to depend upon a destitute widow woman and her son with no food to their names, Elijah was willing to go because he knew something that you and I should learn well. What we do in private is far more important than what we do for God in public. And our hidden life prepares us for our public life. And church, how many times do things happen for us where we ask this question? Oh my, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? The brook ran dry. What am I going to do? The ravens are no longer coming. What am I going to do? There's nothing left to eat. What am I going to do? There's no rain in the land. And so we ask ourselves the question, what are we going to do? When the real question should be, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. Because church, what we do privately is a deep predictor of what God will do publicly. We're going to have a meeting here in a moment, and I'm going to invite you to come up here to talk. Some of you probably have some questions. Some of you probably have some answers. Some of you might be asking the question, oh my, what are we going to do? I used to... I used to drive down that street right there and say to my wife, you'll never have to worry about me going to that church right there. And I pointed at this one. (laughs) Some of you probably don't know this, but back in about 2003, I was talked to about coming to your church by the district superintendent at the time. I said, my kids are too small. I can't deal with a church like that right now. Please don't do that to me. And they didn't do it. They listened. Different bishop, different district superintendent, nine years down the road. And here I come. And there's been one sentence, because I want to tell you, You have not been an easy church to pastor. I don't know if you know that or not. This has been a challenge from day one. But I want you to hear me. I have not lost the confidence in God to know that I don't have to say, oh my, what are we going to do? Because he's firmly placed it in my heart to believe, oh my, what is he about to do? And church, our expectation needs to be that. 
Those 450 prophets of Baal, the day they went up on Mount Carmel, they thought that they were the religious high group, but they couldn't get their God to do a thing. They had no understanding of what God was about to do. And I'm not telling you that that God would come down and lick up that sacrifice that Elijah placed out there. No, that God was about to come and end a three and a half year drought that that man had prayed for. And now he was praying for God to end. In church, we may have prayed for the last few years, the last number of years for God to do great things. But I want to encourage you that this is not the time to say, oh my, what are we going to do? This is the time to say, oh my, what is God about to do? 2,000 years ago, when Jesus died on a cross... Many thought that that was the end. But three days later, they found out that God knew exactly what he was doing. No one could have ever predicted. Two went off on a road walking back home. They were basically saying, what are we going to do? The disciples left the scene and went back home and said, now what are we going to do? Peter went back to fishing. But on an early morning, some women got out of bed Never expecting that what they would find, they found, was that he was not dead. He is risen, just as he said. Quickly go, now tell his disciples that Jesus Christ is alive. Church, just when you think it can't get any worse, that, that is when God chooses to say, you ain't seen nothing yet. I told you that next week we are going to have a, uh, a reception. I'm about to tell you what that's for. I suspect that most of you already know. I don't think that Mr. Mark Thews is present. If I'm wrong, forgive me, but I don't see him. 